Okay, here we go. Well, good morning to all of you, brethren, and it's good to be back again, and I hope that uh, you have had a good week, and uh, just to let you know, I so saw that uh, coming Wednesday, I'll be having my COVID jab, uh, so very, very, very blessed to, to be able to be listed for, for the jab, so uh, I'll be going on for that and see how it goes, how, how it goes from there, and hopefully that uh, all of you will get your jab very soon as well. Okay, uh, let, we're going to carry on with our our, our study on uh, the, this, the 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 life story and reigns of the kings. Uh, so, in our last sermon, if you remember, we have uh, considered the life of the King Joash. This little boy, remember that he was uh, he has he was he has been saved from the hands of Atalia, this uh, evil uh, queen who was who has who was going out to massacre all all the heirs to the throne. That if you remember that uh, uh, Joash was the son of King Ahazia, king of Judah in the southern kingdom. And that uh, it was Jehoiada, the high priest, who actually, and his wife uh, Jehoshaphat, who saved him and raised him up as their own. So uh, it's because of their, you know, their kindness and the grace of God, of course, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that Joash eventually uh, was put on the throne. And with the help of Jehoiada, uh, before he died, that uh, you know, Joash was doing very well as a young king, and how that if you remember that how that uh, Joash went about uh, repairing the the temple of God, which uh, uh, Atalia had had uh, had kind of destroyed and damaged so badly, uh, so it, took, it took him quite a number of years before the temple was uh, restored to its uh, to its uh, not former glory, but at least that uh, it was in a functionable position where people could continue worshiping God itself. Uh, you remember also that after Jehoiada, the high priest, his as you call his uh, Joash's jo foster father died, uh, this evil uh, prince and royalty started advising this king, and that that led him into apostasy. That he gave up his faith uh, in Jehovah God and turned to worship the idols, uh, which which were in, in Judah at that time as well. Not many of them, but that he reinstated the the idolatry in, in Judah, and thereby leading him to basically uh, you know that uh, to to eventually to be uh, uh, he he died as well eventually. Uh, if you remember that uh, the, the God sent his prophets and messengers to warn the king and he refused to listen as the last straw God sent Zechariah the son of Jehoiada it was like his foster brother you know uh, someone whom he grew up with and and this high priest Zechariah went to advise Joash about him and, and, and rebuke him for his sin and then if you remember that Joash was very upset with it, with, with, with Zechariah and that he, he ordered the stoning of Zechariah and that shows how ungrateful that jo jo uh, Joash was towards uh, Jehoiada and uh, he, he killed the you know, the son of the man who raised him up who saved his life uh, so as a result that he paid he paid the price and and, and died uh, condemned by God so this week what we're gonna do is that we're gonna cross the border uh, from the south to the north so we're gonna we're gonna go into the northern kingdom of Israel and we're going to continue our study with the kings, but this time we're instead of looking at the kings of Judah in the south, we're going to look at the northern king, uh, one of the northern kings, uh, you know, kings of Israel. Uh, this king was called, his name was called Jehoahaz. I've sent out the handouts yesterday, so you should have uh, the handout of this king uh, and with all the references there for you uh, this morning. So Jehoahaz was the son of Jehu. Uh, we know who Jehu was. Uh, Jehu was the, was the chief executor, isn't it? He was the one who executed the, the Lord's will and destroyed the Ahab's house. You remember that he went around, he killed all, all those who were related to Ahab's house and that he sat on the throne because that the, the Lord actually anointed him uh, through Elisha, the prophet, uh, to be the next king of Israel. We know that basically that uh, this... Uh, this king Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, uh, he was not the godly king because the scripture will tell us very shortly. Uh, and and in, in fact, that even like his father as well, Jehu wasn't a godly king. Uh, and that in spite of Jehu's idolatry, you remember that the, you know that the Lord commanded Jehu for his zeal in in uh, you know destroying Ahab's house and promised Jehu that the throne of Israel will be will remain in his house for up to four generations. So uh, that was in Second Kings ten thirty that the Lord promised him that. So that it shows basically that how patient the Lord was with Jehu uh, and his house, you know, to, to give him four generations of, of, of reigns as kings of Israel was basically to give Jehu and his house time to turn away from idolatry. If you remember that by, by the time that Jehu sat on the throne, the northern kingdom of Israel had been steeped in idolatry for 150 years. So when you, when you look at a, a situation like that where you know, uh, the, the nation has been how many generations? 150 years, probably about three generations or so. So for, for three generations at least, you know, that uh, you have got everybody exposed to idolatry. 
and so that when Jehu came to the throne, he needed he 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 would definitely need time uh, to open his eyes and worship God eventually, you know, for him and his house as well. So and the the, the Lord, in fact, had extended his mercy and grace to Jehu by allowing him to reign as king of uh, king of Israel for twenty eight years. So Jehu sat on the throne for twenty eight years, but sadly enough that uh, Jehu did not learn a single a single thing about the God of Israel, and and, and hence he died condemned. And that, of course, that the king's and the king's account ends with the death of and burial of Jehu. And now his son Jehoahaz, this is the king that we're looking at, uh, who who is of the first of the four generations of Jehu's house, uh, will, will come onto the throne. So, uh, in Second Kings thirteen verses one and two, we'll read from there first uh, to to bring uh, jo Jehoahaz uh, into the scene as we introduce him. So, Second Kings thirteen verse one says. In the twenty-third year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria, and reigned seventeen years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So here the Bible tells us, as the writer informs us, that Jehoahaz succeeded his father, uh, Jehu as king of Israel, and he reigned seventeen years, so which which was quite a long time basically for 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 a king, and the Bible also tells us that uh, Jehoiakim was like his father, as I said earlier, he was evil, and he walked in the ways of you know in in the ways of Jeroboam, uh, basically that he was worshiping the the you know, the, the gods of uh, the, the gods of uh, uh, or rather the calves, if you remember the the, the calves that. Uh, uh, Jer uh, Jeroboam, and uh, you know, uh, installed in, in, at battle, and then uh, after after the kingdom, the house of Solomon split uh, in the very very early days. So the, uh, this was the man who the the king who followed that after that bad example there. And in Second Kings thirteen verse three, verse three says this: Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazel, the king of Syria, and into the hand of Benhadad the son of Hazel, all their days. And verse 7 says that, For he left the army of Jehoahaz only fifty horsemen, ten chariots, and ten thousand foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. So the writer here now tells us that, uh, you know, that it was Jehoahaz's evil that actually that has caused the Lord to actually uh, to allow the consequences of, in fact, that Hazel's defeat of Israel, going back to his uh, Jehu's days because Jehu fought with Hazel king of Syria before so he was defeated by, by Hazel before so the consequences of that defeat continue to run into you know the, the days of uh, Jehoahaz and the writer tells us here that basically that this, this consequences of Jehu's defeat will continue to run even into the days of Ben-Hadad the second who was the king of Syria, the son of Hazel. So after Hazel, the king of Syria's death, his son Ben-Hadad would take over, and this consequence would, uh, you know, the, the, of Israel's defeat would continue uh, even onto, onto, that, onto, onto that reign as well. So and the writer here tells us as well that the defeat uh, by the Syrians uh, you know, of Israel has led to Israel having a very, very weak army. You can see isn't it, that it was just a handful of horsemen and just ten, uh, you know, ten chariots, which was not very much there, and ten thousand foot soldiers, as compared to the days of David and Solomon and Jehoshaphat, you know, where the army of uh, 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 the army of Judah was so mighty, and even the days of uh, King Ahab, uh, the the army was very mighty then. So now you can see that they are very very different state as far as the or affairs as far as Israel's ability to protect themselves was concerned. So Israel was basically just 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 uh, open to abuse by the enemies at any time because of because of Jehoahaz's uh, evil and wicked ways like his father. Then Second Kings thirteen verse twenty two and twenty three continues with the story that it says this, and Hazel king of Syria oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz, but the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob. And would not yet destroy them nor or cast them from his presence. So now the writer tells us that uh, Jehoiakim's uh, spiritual rebellion against the Lord, you know, has actually led Israel into oppression by the Syrians. This already, you know, this must have taken place e e even before before Jehoiakim came about in the days of Jehu. But 
because of his continued rebellion, this oppression by the Syrians will continue to run throughout his reign. So bear this in mind. Okay, all the days of Jehoahaz as king of Israel, 17 years, the, the Syrians would oppress Israel. But God was very kind to Israel that he, he, he would not let the Syrians destroy Israel in spite of this oppression uh, because God was very, very gracious uh, and, and kind and compassionate towards Israel because of his promise, you know, uh, his, his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The, the 12 tribes of Israel would not be destroyed, you know, uh, from, because of that promise itself. Then 2 Kings, in fact, 2 Kings uh, 13, that's strange. Uh, what is it? Verse 4. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yes, verse 4 uh, continues with the story. It says, going back to verse 4 now, it says, So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened uh, to, to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. So we know that uh, Hazel, king of Syria, has been oppressing Israel. So Jehoahaz, although that he was evil, and he was an idolater, to his credit, even at his lowest point in his life, when Israel was so badly uh, 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 afflicted by the Syrians, he remembered some of his father's legacy. Remember that Jehu used to be a very zealous man for the Lord. He went about killing, uh, executing the, you know, the, those relating to Ahab's house. So he remembered, perhaps he remembered some of his father's legacy and the God of Israel. And he turned to the God of Israel for help. So he pleaded with God. And Second Kings 13 verse 5 tells us this. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. So here you are, we find that, uh, you know, that the Lord actually answered Jehoiasa's prayers for help. And the scripture says that uh, God sent a deliverer. The deliverer just stopped the Syrians' oppression, you know, so that Israel, although Israel was powerless and insecure, Israel would not be destroyed totally by, by the Syrians. So God actually was very kind, sent a deliverer because of, uh, of the prayer from Jehoahaz. And then 2 Kings 13 verse 6 continues thereafter what happens after that. In verse 6, the, the writer says, Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, and walk in them, and the wooden image also remained in Samaria. This is very, very uh, sad in the sense that even though that, that the Lord has answered Jehoahaz's prayers and sent a deliverer that brought about relief for Israel from the Syrian oppression, Israel and, and Jehoahaz after that re resumed their evil ways when things settled down and then they went back to their evil ways. You know, may maybe this, this, this was the reason why that, if you remember I mentioned earlier before, uh, you know, in 2 Kings 13, 22, that the, the Syrian oppression lasted throughout the reigns, throughout the days of Jehoahaz. Perhaps this was the reason why that, uh, you know, that maybe the Syrians actually came back later on uh, and continued with the, with the oppression because Israel never seemed to learn. God delivered them and then whilst they were having a relief and then they, they went back to idolatry and they refused to learn from the lessons of history and, and the blessings of God and repent of their wicked ways. So God perhaps sent the Syrians back, <laughs> you know, and continued with the oppression all the days of Jehoiaz. So it's quite sad in the sense, you know, that uh, when you read that, when you read the story like that, and then Second Kings thirteen continues in verses eight and nine, and the writer wraps up the the reign of uh, Jehoahaz. The scripture says in verse eight, Second Kings thirteen, now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash his son reigned in his place. So the writer now ends the record of Jehoahaz's reign with his death. After 17 years as king of Israel, uh, he, you know, in, in a sense that he practically achieved nothing, uh, you know, and that he died and his son Joash, so you now you see there are two Joashes in, in, in Judah there was also Joash, in Israel there was also Joash. So his son Joash sat on the throne as the next king of Israel. So this brings to an end of the writer's account of the reign, the life and reign of King Jehoahaz of Israel. So, before we draw lessons from Jehoahaz's life, I think that there are some interesting issues that matters that I'd like to draw your attention to, you know, with some uh, thinking that I thought would be interesting to, to, to look at as well. So, what I'd like to do is, to, is for us to think about the Lord's deliverance. Remember that Jehoahaz prayed, 
prayer to his prayers to God for help and God sent a deliverer so in answer to his prayer so I want, I want us to think about this deliverer and the deliverance itself so I, I, I raised two questions there as I was studying this passage I thought that it might be very interesting to think about the Lord sent a deliverer to Israel but the question is now the first question is that who who was this deliverer okay that's number one who was he and number two in what ways did the Lord deliver Israel from the Syrian oppression? So if the, since the deliverer came, how, was the, how, how did he deliver Israel from the oppression? So these are the two things that we, these are the two questions I like uh, to address for us to think about as well. So let's look at the first one. Who was the deliverer of Israel? The scripture tells us in 2 Kings 13 verse 5, which I read earlier, the scripture simply said that then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians. The writer was very clear. There was a deliverer to help Israel. But who was he? Commentators and writers have got different views as to who this uh, deliverer was. I thought I wanted to show and share with you some, some of the views. Some commentators, in fact, uh, most commentators suggested that uh, this deliverer only appeared to help Israel after Jehoahaz has died. Joahaz prayed for a deliverer, so he did. According to some writers, this deliverer came after the king has passed away. So, for example, Barnes, Barnes, the the, the commentator, Albert Barnes, the commentator. This is what this this is what his view, one of his views. He he thought that the deliverer actually came after Joahaz's death. That means that it happened during the days of Joash, his his son. And that Barnes thinks that uh, the deliverer was actually Joash, the son of Jehoahaz. King of Israel, uh, we will we will study Joash's life, uh, you know, in our next sermon. Uh, we know that from from the from the biblical text that uh, Joash actually defeated uh, Ben Hadad, who was the son of Hazel, the one who oppressed Israel in in Jehoash's days, uh, the king of Syria. Three times we know that uh, according to the scriptures that he, he he actually defeated the Syrian three times, uh, but he did not overcome Syria, so. As a result, that that uh, you know, that Barnes believed that uh, that was because Joe Joe Ash, uh, because of his defeat, three defeats of Syria, that actually brought about relief for Israel from the oppression. So that was that was Barnes' position. The deliverer was Joe Ash, the son of Jehoahaz. The Cambridge Bible for Schools and Colleges commentary uh, suggested that the deliverer was not actually Joe Ash. It was Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam II, he was Jehoahaz's grandson. That means the son of Joash. So not the son, but the grandson. So that's what this Cambridge uh, uh, commentary talks about. It's, it's because the, 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 the right, the, the, this, this commentary thought that the, the reason why that it was Jeroboam II was because the, of the language in 2 Kings 13 verses 22 to 23, uh, which is very similar to what uh, later on the writer uses in 2 Kings 14 concerning uh, Jeroboam the second, where verse twenty six and twenty seven of Second Kings fourteen said this. It says that for the Lord saw that, that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether born or free, there was no helper for Israel, and the Lord did not say that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam the son of Joash. So this was what, because if you remember earlier, we read from Second Kings thirteen twenty two to twenty three that how. Uh, you know, Hazel oppressed Israel, but God was faithful to his his promise, his covenant with I, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why he did, Israel wasn't destroyed. So the, this this Cambridge commentary was saying that well, because of the similarities in the language here, uh, because being man, being raised again, the affliction of Israel was very bitter. There was no helper, and then the Lord delivered, uh, you know, Israel uh, out of the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. So because of the similarities, so this commentator said that well. Uh, perhaps that it was actually Jeroboam the second, the grandson, not the son who who was the deliverer. So that two there are two views so far then, the grandson or the son. There was a, there is a third view. The third view comes from uh, the commentators Kale and Delish uh, in their series of commentaries, uh, which are very well known for the Old Testament commentaries. Kale and Delish actually suggested that the deliver the deliverer was not Jehoahaz's son nor Joash's grandson. It was the both of them. So you have one case, call it saying that he was the son, 
then the other case saying that it was the grandson and they, these two these two these two commentators say that no it was both the son and the grandson so what what they was what this commentary was basically saying was that you know that because the writer of the kings tells us the Syrian oppression continued from Hazel unto his son Ben-Hadad and this happened all the days of Jehoahaz and it even went into Joash's the son's reign and then of course then Joash defeated uh, Ben-Hadad three times in battle you know but then of course that didn't finish uh, the oppression because when we read from the case of 2nd Kings 14 earlier about Jeroboam the second the affliction continued in Jeroboam the second's days until he defeated the Syrians later on you see so they say that well that was the, that was the case so there were there were there were two stages of the you know relief of the oppression from the Syrians for Israel the first came in Joash's days which was the son of Jehoahaz three defeats kind of lighten up the you know relax a bit of relax the 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 oppression by a bit and then finally when Jeroboam the, the second the grandson became king he finished up the the Syrians and thereby ending the oppression itself so in two stages so here you are you had three we had three views first view was the son who did it but he didn't finish it the second view was that the grandson who did it and he finished it the third view is that it was the son who started it and the grandson who finished it so we have got three different views as to who this deliverer was but as I thought about this I thought that the, the arguments here whether it was the son the grandson or both uh, they are not very persuasive I, I'm not very persuaded and convinced by the argument for two reasons basically number one if you think about this the inspired writer in 2nd Kings 13 verses uh, in, in, in verse, verse 4 uh, says this you see that so Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord and the Lord listened to him for he saw the oppression of Israel because the, the king of Syria oppressed them okay so the writer actually specifically told us that the deliverer was given because the Lord has had listened to the prayer of Jehoahaz you see so Jehoahaz prayed and the Lord answered him. Of course, the writer didn't say when the Lord answered him, but there is an indication that the Lord answered Jehoahaz in his time. Because we know, because in verse 6 of the same chapter, 2 Kings 13, the, writers, the writer continues there and said that, Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of Jer the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin but walk in them, and the wooden images remained in Samaria. So here, I think that in, in these two verses, within its context it tells us you see the Lord answered Jehoahaz's prayer gave him the relief through the deliverer but then never in spite of that that Israel continued to sin so that's what the context tells us you see so it suggests strongly very strongly suggested that the deliverer came in Jehoahaz's lifetime or, or in, in during his reign not after but if you think about this if the Lord had only answered Jehoahaz's prayer after he died, this is not really a prayer to for uh, an answer of the prayer for him, isn't it? You know, what's the point of him, uh, you know, God answering his prayer for him uh, after his date? After his date is over already. So and also that you know that uh, it makes no sense for him to pray and then God say I'll answer your prayer, but then you wait, <laughs> uh, you wait uh, until your your son or your grandson or both then comes uh, they come along and then uh, you know that I will deal with I will send you a deliverer. So it it makes no sense because the writers basically say the Lord listened to him and answered his prayer, sent a deliverer. So uh, I think you got you got to read it in in its most natural way. That means that it happened during his lifetime, and then verse six says that in spite of the deliverance and uh, they they went back to the sin again so well i mean that if if the, the deliverer didn't come in joash Jehoahaz's lifetime why would the writer say that in spite of the deliverance that they went back to sin makes no sense they sinned he prayed god delivered him there was a relief but then they didn't turn to god that's what the writer says and they went back to sin so it, it, the, the natural flow of, of, the, of the passage itself suggested very strongly that the deliverance came in Jehoiasa's lifetime, not in the days of his son, nor his grandson, or both of them. So that's one of the reasons why the, I think that the, the commentators' arguments are not very persuasive. Mm -hmm. The second reason is that if you notice what the writer tells us, 
The writer tells us that when after Jehoshaphat prayed and the Lord listened to him, the Lord sent a deliverer. A deliverer, one, not two. Kael and Delish say that it was Joash and Joraboam. That makes two deliverers, not one. You see? So the, 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 the numbers do not match uh, what the writer is saying as well. So, and also if you think about this, if the deliverers or deliverer was Joash the son or jo Jeroboam the second, the grandson, why didn't the writer name them? Why did the writer leave it unknown? That's one thing that puzzles me, you see, when I was reading that. So, okay, then here you are. We have the Lord, the scripture telling us the Lord sent a deliverer. But why did the writer not name him? If it was Joe jo Ash or, or, or Jeroboam the second. This is where the, I think that I, I, I'm persuaded that the, that the view that is, sounds, uh, seems sensible and reasonable is that this deliverer was not an Israelite. He was a foreigner and an enemy of Israel. I think that's the reason why that the writer, the inspired writer, did not name him. Because, you know, why should the inspired writer give credit to a foreigner and an enemy of Israel? I think that's the reason why that he, he, he left the, the deliverer nameless. So if that's the case, if he was a foreigner, can we identify him in history? I think that the answer is yes. In your notes, again, you can see that I've included an, uh, an image of an inscription there, isn't it? Uh, this was actually an inscription which, is, which comes from extra-biblical historical records. So this comes from outside information outside of the Bible itself. So this, this account actually tells us that there was an Assyrian king. His name was Adad Ninari, the third. Yeah, the third means that there were, there were two kings previous to him that with the same name. So Adad Ninari the third, uh, tells the, the account tells us that he actually attacked Damascus. Damascus was the capital city of Syria during his time. Okay, so the Syrians, when they had this Assyrian siege against the Syrians at Damascus, the Syrians surrendered to the Assyrians. And that's why that is, that's what the that, that stone actually had the carving the record of that surrender itself. Uh, this it was actually this stone was actually known as the Nimrud slab inscription, which was found in Rima. So or they call it the Rima stale. So this was actually found in 1967, when uh, the British School of Archaeology, you know, they they went to dig at the Tel uh, Rima in Iraq. This was found in Iraq. So very interesting that Iraq has got a lot of this historical stuff there. Uh, so it was found. This that was found in Iraq, you know, where the account uh, of ne Adad Ninari the third king of Assyria uh, t says this yeah, on the stone itself I quote that it's in your notes as well it says against Amran or Aram which is Syria basically against Aram I march so the king said Mari king of Aram in Damascus his royal city I shut him up the terrifying splendor of Asher my lord overwhelmed him and he laid hold of my feet he became my vassal 2,300 talents of silver 20 talents of gold 3,000 talents of copper, 5,000 talents of iron, colored wooden and linen garments, an ivory bed, an ivory couch inlaid with bejeweled, his property and his goods in immeasurable quantity in Damascus, his royal city, in his palace I receive." Unquote. So the Assyrian king received a lot of, a lot of stuff from Mari, uh, the king of Am Aram, which is in Damascus, king of Syria basically. Who was Mari? Uh, the, the word Mari, actually, that according to archaeologists and scholars, is that it, it, was, it came from the Aramaic word, which means Lord. That means that if you want to read it, I march Lord, King of Aram, King of Syria in Damascus. So even, even Adad Ninari did not name the Syrian king, which is quite interesting, basically, that uh, he didn't name the, the, the Syrian king at Damascus. He simply called him Lord or Mari. So who was this? king who actually paid tribute to the Assyrian king Ninat, uh, you know, uh, Edad Ninari, scholars differ. Again, that scholars, you know, have, uh, argue over who was this, who was this uh, Syrian king who, who, who surrendered. Some say that it was Hazel himself. Others say it was Ben-Hadad, his son. You know, these were the two kings that we've been talking about, uh, king of, kings of Syria that we've been talking about in, the, in, in our study this morning. So, 
we don't know who who the king, uh, which king it was, but it was certainly from from uh, you know from that period of time. Uh, it could be either Hazel or it could be uh, you know uh, his son Ben Hadad. But what was interesting for our learning is this: that the Rimas the the, the Rimastel, which is this stone that we're looking at so far, uh, also had a, and something added by Adenari the third. You know, after his his uh, his subjugation of Damascus, after he he conquered Damascus of Syria. The the right the king the Syrian king said that in in his tribute that he said this he said that I received the tribute of Jehoash or Jeho or, or rather Jehoash Jehoash the Samaritan. He you know that uh, what was interesting is this Assyrian actually named the son of Jehoash Joash uh, in 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 his account where Israel actually paid tribute to the Assyrian king as well. So this is very interesting that you you find another extra biblical account outside of the Bible mentioning uh, you know one of the kings of uh, Israel by name. So again, that is endless support to the, to the fact that the Bible is not just a biblical book, uh, you know, a book of biblical history, but historically that uh, the, the 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 characters they 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 are real historical characters. So in this instance, we find another support for the the accuracy of the of the Bible account itself. So since that uh, the Assyrian king has named Joash the son of Jehoahaz in his in his account after his con conquest of uh, the Syrians at Damascus, that would suggest, isn't it? That would suggest that uh, the conquest of the Assyrian the Syrians at Damascus must have taken place sometime before before Joash came to the scene. You see. That means basically that uh, it could be between the reign of Jehoahaz, the father, and Joash the son, somewhere in between that period of the time. So we here we have a timeline, you see. So we have a timeline on on perhaps at when, uh, you know, when the Assyrians actually conquered uh, Damascus. The Assyrian conquest, conquest of Damascus is very important for us because, if you remember, isn't it, that. There was a deliverer, according to the Bible account, in the days of Jehoahaz, who delivered Israel from the Syrian oppression. You see? So the deliverer has not been named. We don't know who, who he was. Most likely, as some, uh, some writers suggested, he must have been a foreigner. That's why that, you know, the, the writer refused to name him, lest credit be given to him. So now we see that the archaeological stuff there points to a character, Adad Nenari, the third king of Assyria, having done this to Damascus, conquered Damascus. That implies that Syria's power was weakened as a result of that. And then later on, you have Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, paying tribute to the Assyrian. So this might have suggested that if this assessment is true, which I believe is true, the deliverer that the writer of the kings have not named would have been Adad Nenari the third Assyrian, a foreigner, and it, it makes sense. Basically, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, it fits. It fits very well. So again, that you know, sometimes the Bible is the Bible has all these small little indications that when we study, we think about this, we do a bit of investigation work. That you find that uh, that uh, you will find extra biblical accounts supporting and corroborating uh, biblical accounts. So it's, it's, it should strengthen our faith in the credibility of the Bible itself. So I, I thought this is very interesting for me. I got very excited about it. So I, I, I share this with you as well. I hope that you, 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 have, you have found something interesting. So here we are. We have a view uh, which I find it most reasonable. The deliverer was an Assyrian king, not, not uh, Joash or, or Jeroboam II. No, it was the Assyrian king. So we have a name for it. That answers our first question. Then that brings us to our second question. So, in what ways did the Lord deliver Israel? Okay, if it's through the hands of the Assyrians, how did the Lord deliver? In what ways? We know that, okay, that was because the Damascus was conquered, so it weakens it. But how long did this deliverance last? So, did, did it end the, the, the oppression in Israel altogether? So, this, was the, this is the interesting point. You remember I said in the beginning, in 2 Kings 13 verse 22, that the scripture tells us specifically, the Hazel, the king of, uh, of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of King Jehoahaz. So, the oppression continued. But there was, we know that there was a kind of a, 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 a time of relief, isn't it, through the deliverer, uh, the Assyrian himself. 
So that would suggest to us that the Assyrian intervention at Damascus actually delivered Israel from the Syrian oppression, but only temporary, temporarily. It wasn't a permanent thing because the scripture tells us, uh, as we have seen earlier before, that this oppression of Israel by the Syrians continued in the days of Hazel or the days to ben his son. You see, it only ended, finally ended, in the days of Jeroboam, the grandson of King Jehoahaz of Israel. So that means that this was only a temporary, a temporary deliverance, and then it resumed later on again. Uh, perhaps in the days, uh, you know, when, when Ben-Hadad took over in Syria, and he continued the oppression. And then finally, this oppression was broken by Jehoahaz's grandson, Jeroboam II. So that frees Israel from the Syrian oppression once and for all. So I thought that this is interesting, uh, you know, and, and that I, I think that this theory that, that the deliverance was temporary uh, is very, uh, it can be supported by the scriptures itself. Because you remember that in Second Kings 13, the, the writer tells us in verse 5, he said that the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians. And the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. So if you notice that after the deliverer came to, uh, to deliver Israel in, uh, in, you know, in, in this text, Israel escaped. Two things happened. Israel escaped from the, under the hand of the Syrians, number one. And number two, the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. The, the, the phrase dwelt in their tents as before is quite interesting, I thought. That, that what, basically, that what it meant was basically that after the deliverance came, Israel continued to live in their tents not in their houses. So in other words, that it implies that the Israelites did not return to the cities, back to their homes, their houses to live in, but they were living in the, perhaps in the wilderness, in their tents, just as before. In other words, just as the days when they were being oppressed by the Syrians, they were living away from the cities. Perhaps that, uh, you, know, that you know why, isn't it? Because that when you're in the city, uh, with the Syrians being uh, you know, present there, there's always a risk isn't it, that you could be persecuted by them or run into trouble with the Syrians. So if you move out into the countryside, you live in the wild, uh, in the wilderness, living in tents uh, away from these Syrians, uh, you know that you, you, you would lessen the risk of oppression by them and bullying by them. So perhaps that this was the reason why that the, the writer tells us, you see, that uh, they, they continue to live in their tents. Perhaps that they, they were not very sure whether that uh, this cessation of the oppression would be permanent. So they had no confidence. In other words, I think that Israel had no confidence in the Lord's deli deliverance at all. That's why they, they continued to stay in the tents. So, you know, you pray for God, pray to God for deliverance. The deliverance came, but you never trust God in the deliverance. You continue to live with doubt. And hence, uh, God, perhaps the Lord was thinking that, well, okay, in, in that case, since you doubt me, then okay, I'll bring the Syrians back. So, and then it happens, and then it continues throughout the days of Jehoahaz and into, into the days of Joash, and then finally, only ended, uh, you know, in the days of Jeroboam, the, Jeroboam the second. So I thought that this is this is uh, something that is interesting for you, uh, you know, that it shows how sad a, a case uh, King Jehoahaz's life was, isn't it? You know that uh, he had these opportunities uh, to do right and live right, and the Lord even answered his prayers, and yet that he refused to, you know, to take heed and turn back to God with Israel in repentance, but rather that they carry on as business as usual uh, after, after they, were, they have been delivered and serve them right basically for, you know, uh, for, for the oppression by the Syrians to return thereafter. So I, I thought that this is some information that might be very interesting for you uh, uh, for, for consideration there. Okay, so what are, what are the lessons we can learn? I think this is the point that uh, the learning bits itself that, is, uh, that I'm sure that, that interests most of us here. What can we learn from Jehoahaz's life? You know, having read this, uh, through the story of this king, although that the account is, as you can see, the biblical account of this king was very brief compared to some of the earlier kings of Israel. Uh, this few verses in Second Kings 13 actually tells us a lot about Jehoahaz. You see? Let's look at the lessons, what we can learn. Uh, we know that Remember the young boy who was saved in Judah by Jehoiada the high priest? That was King Joash of Judah. We remember that from our last sermon that Judah's, uh, Joash's life 
uh, was recorded, in fact, immediately before Joho Ahaz that we're looking at today. That young boy king was recorded just before this king. And from that young, boy's, young boy king that we have learned, that Joash, king of Judah, he was ungrateful. Uh, in a sense that he was ungrateful to Jehoiada, who was the man, the man who raised him up, who saved him, who put him on the throne. So Joash was ungrateful to the man who saved him. So when we look at the case of Jehoahaz today, we see that he, you know, that he was he was a man who has been delivered, but his deliverer was a foreigner, an Assyrian. Of course, that the Jehoahaz would never thank the foreigner <laughs> for the deliverance. He would not thank that man for delivering uh, Israel. So that means basically that Jehoahaz had no man to thank for, like Joash had jo Jehoiada to thank for, you see. But Jehoahaz had no man to thank for. So the only one whom Jehoahaz could thank or be grateful to would have been the Lord himself who answered his prayer. And yet that Jehoahaz refused to acknowledge this and persisted in his idolatrous way of life. Joash jo was ungrateful to men. Jehoahaz would be our first lesson here today, was ungrateful to God. He was a man who was ungrateful to God. Have we not taken Jehoahaz's attitude of ingratitude towards God before? You know, brethren, life's experience, uh, you know, the life experience of those in the Bible accounts, they are not very different from our own experiences today. You know, I'm sure that many of us who were once upon a time in great difficulty, you know, it could be financial, it could be physical and health and spiritual or whatever difficulty we have. I'm sure that in those moments of desperations that, uh, you know, that many of us or most of us, if not all of us would have been, would have turned to God in prayer, praying day in and day out for the Lord's help, you know. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, for, for most of us, we, we would have seen, like Israel, you know, we have seen how the Lord has been good to us, provided us with a way of escape. You know, in the most difficult times, where has blessed us with a job, or blessed us with some pay rise, or a house that you needed, or a car, or whatever it is, a new sofa set, new family, whatever it is, recovered from ill health, the blessings. We would have we would have seen the goodness of God through through it, through the way that He He helped us escape from our own oppressions and afflictions of life. But after a while, for some brethren, somehow that uh, such memories of God's providence and kindness would begin to fade you know, into the wilderness. And they would forget that it was God who has blessed them and helped them uh, through all these difficult times. And they returned to the world of sin again. I don't know about you, I, I know, I've known of brethren who, who, who are like that, like Jehoahaz, ungrateful to God, in deep trouble, struggling, you know, and they got blessed and they turned away from God. I know, I know, a, I know a brethren who, whose life story was basically that they were so poor that they they were walking up and down the street in in the cold winter, you know, uh, trying to look for coins on the floor to pick up so that they could gather enough to 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 buy a McDonald's meal between themselves. And they, you know, and later on the Lord blessed them with good jobs. Blessed them with a property, and home. You know, one of them fell ill, very ill recovered from it you know and after the recovery they went back to the world they were like Jehoahaz Joash and Jehoahaz's story tells, tell us that we must never be ungrateful whether to the people that the, the Lord has given us to help us or to God himself who blesses us their story warned that their stories warn that those who are ungrateful will suffer eternal consequences because God sees ingratitude as an abomination to Him. You see, every sin that you can think of uh, is generally tied to ingratitude. And that, that's, 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 the, that's the case. So that's the first lesson for us. Always be grateful to God. Our second lesson, uh, as we can see here, 
uh, can be seen from the you know this foreign pagan deliverer. Remember that Jehoiash was oppressed by the Syrians so badly that he prayed to the Lord for deliverance. God sent him a foreigner to deliver Israel. And the foreigner delivered Israel, not permanently, but on a temporal basis. And yet that this deliverance was not good enough for Jehoiash. He had this brief, re, uh, you know, uh, a brief reprieve from the oppression. And he persisted in his sin. He went back to his sin again. So it seems basically that Jehoiash was expecting total, total deliverance coming from perhaps someone from Israel that God would send. But when it was a foreigner and a temporal deliverance, you know, this was not what Jehoahaz was expecting. And hence, he being ungrateful, so he decided to ignore the deliverance. He said, well, God, I asked you for a, you know, a, a local hero to deliver us permanently. You gave me a foreigner and only temporal. So, you know, this is not what I'm asking for. He turned back to, he turned back to idolatry. So today we also have people like that who are like Jehoahaz. You know, who will live their lives complaining day in, day out. Why? Because they are not satisfied. They are dissatisfied with the Lord's little blessings of the day. You know, people like that, they wake up and go to bed miserable as if that God has abandoned them. They moan, they groan and complain how difficult life is without appreciating and giving thanks to God for the little daily blessings each day. You know, such, such people are ungrateful, like Jehoahaz, who do not appreciate God's little blessings of life. You know, little blessings like the fact that, well, at least we are alive. At least that we have some food on the table. At least we have clothes on our backs. At least we have roofs over our heads. At least we are healthy. May not be in full health, but at least we are healthy enough to, to, to live. So Jehoiahaz's case teaches us not only to be grateful to God, but never be ungrateful for life's little blessings. You know, those who complain all the time as if God has short-changed short short them do not see God's bigger picture of life. Such people are short-sighted. They cannot look beyond their proverbial noses. They complain because they have forgotten to look at life's little blessings from God. Health, life, daily supplies, and the opportunities to serve Him each day for His glory. They are just after the bigger blessings. But when these wicked blessings do not come their way, as they expected, they become ungrateful and complain about things. So it wasn't just Jeho Jehoahaz who suffered this, uh, you know, this, this sort of uh, mindset. In fact, the Jeremiah the prophet once had this kind of dilemma, you know, in a sense as well that uh, you know he was he felt bitter. If you remember that, uh, this is a very very uh, popular text that we have seen so many times. I want to revisit it again. The Jeremiah felt very bitter, you know, when he was held in the Babylonian captivity. If you remember that Judah was led away into captivity uh, by the Babylonians, and you know that Jeremiah was one of them being led away. In Lamentations chapter three, this was where that uh, you know Jeremiah expressed his frustration. Uh, you know, because things were not happening in a sense, or maybe that he his, his expectations of, of God and life has been dashed by, by, by the Babylonian captivity. Lamentations 3 verse 15 down to 19, that Jeremiah said this, He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with, with gravel. He covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Jeremiah was really, really uh, upset uh, with God uh, and, and depressed by, by the, 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 the present circumstances of affliction then. But then suddenly, that, uh, in the next moment in Lamentations 3, there was a flash of thought that crossed his mind. That caused him to realize, you see, something, uh, some something about the little things in life that he seemed to have overlooked, because he was always looking over his shoulders for the at the bigger things, and that caused him depression. And then suddenly he sat down, and started realizing there were small little things he had overlooked. And he realized that it was because that of his oversight of these little things, which was the cause of his misery in life. And this is where, the, in verse twenty-one, of Lamentations three to twenty-seven, this is what he said. You look at his change of mind. He said that this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. 
Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seek Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. So here Jeremiah realized, you see, that in spite of all the apparent doom and gloom around him and in, 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 away from Jerusalem and in Babylon, he realized that the fact is that he was alive each day was actually the Lord's little blessings with his daily uh, freshly delivered mercies and compassion that has not failed. So with these little blessings, this afflicted Jeremiah found strength and hope in the Lord again. He stopped his complaints altogether and he learned to be grateful to God. Brethren, when we, when, when we go through phase, our phase of phases of life, we need to look back at those difficult times and remember how God was with us throughout our difficult times. Holding our hands, carrying us as a man would carry his son on his back. You know, through those times that how God has blessed us with the little blessings that have, that, that have helped us through our days each day. So when we look at these little blessings, we, always need, we must always need to remember and to be thankful to God for being our refuge and our daily provider. And this should drive us to walk closer to Him, not away from Him, not to moan and groan, but to serve Him and love Him even more. And to prosper truly in life with God, in a spiritual way, no matter how tough life may be. You see, this is where I think that Jehoiada's uh, uh, life teaches us as well. Never be ungrateful to God and always remember the little blessings of life. Well, although that God has left only a brief account of Jehoahaz's life as I end here, he's teaching us some very important lessons we can learn. You know, if we want to be sustained by the Lord God Jehovah, we must learn uh, that we have to live with God and His grace and His providence in mind each day. Each day. Not in the long term, but each day. And be grateful each day and be faithful each day and true to Him each day for His life's little blessings each day. These are the things that we need to always bear in mind. The Lord Jesus in Luke 16, uh, verse 10 to, verses 10 to 12 said this. He said that, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust, unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Your own. So just as Jesus said here, you see that he, Jesus was basically saying that, well, uh, we need to be first be faithful in the little things before we can be blessed and be granted the greater things by God. And Jehoiada's life teaches us the same principle, that we need to be grateful for the little blessings in life before we can inherit the greater blessings. You have to show faith in the little blessings before you inherit the greater blessings. So let us, brethren, as I end here, let us be grateful to God for all things, great or small, on a daily basis, and live our lives by faith in God and trust in Him. And let us rejoice always. And again, I said rejoice. Thank you.